You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. Yep. And with open enrollment coming up or ongoing for a lot of you folks, maybe it's right behind you. Maybe you need to come back to this episode next year. But there's lots of decisions to make about what benefits to enroll in, especially especially if there's been any changes to the the insurance offerings at work or if you've had family changes even. You know, like a, a different circumstance for you could mean that different insurance options make sense at work too. So how do you decide what's right for you and your family? Today we're going to focus a little bit on the health insurance aspect of it because there's a lot of different things that go into making a health insurance policy. What are the different pieces? What changes? Like whether or not it makes sense for you. Um, And we'll talk a lot about the financial parts of that. You know, how much are you paying out of pocket? How much are the premiums? All that kind of thing. Because the basic question is, you know, how do we pay the least amount possible for our medical care? Like we want to maximize every dollar that we have. So obviously we don't want to give them more medicine or more <laughs> more of our money than we have to. But there are also some non-financial things to consider as well, which is completely understandable. And that may be the first thing that you think about, you know. So if you do have doctors that you'd like to continue care with, make sure that they're in network for whatever plan you're you're going to select because your costs can be a lot higher if you end up having to pay out-of-network costs. So that's just a couple of things that look at. With some employers, you might just have a couple of options, honestly. You know, like this one or that one, and that's it. And it may be fairly easy to choose. But for some employers, you may have a lot of different options. And if you're buying your own coverage on the open market because you're self-employed or anything like that, obviously there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of different plans to consider. So we're going to start just by talking about the basic structure of some of these plans and then talk about the different pieces that go into it. You want to kick it off, Corey? Yes. And yeah, it might if, if, you, if you and your partner both work, you might have you know multiple plans through multiple employers to pick from to, to weigh which one is, is right for you. And if you have a family, you got that uh, into consideration. And, and while the objective is to pay as little as possible for healthcare at the same time we want to have an insurance plan that's actually going to pay for the care that we need when we need it so depending on your circumstances if you have certain um you know ongoing medical conditions that you need treatment for or you have certain providers that you want to see uh for various whatever you know you want to make sure that that's all going to be covered by your health insurance plan so so really you know when you're exploring your your plans through work or on the exchange it could be worth calling them up and inquiring like, Hey, are these doctors in network? Are, are, are these types of procedures covered? You know, what does this plan actually cover? Especially if there's like a certain thing, you know, you need, like if you're going to be having a child, for example, all right, can I deliver at, you know, this hospital, can I have my, you know, you know, provider be the, the doctor that delivers the baby? Um, 
you know, can, you know, if you're, you, you want to get a certain, you know, maybe elective procedure, is it, you know, is it going to be covered by this health insurance plan or, or what percentage am I going to be responsible for? So that can help, you know, weigh your decision one way or another. Um, in terms of, uh, the different types, you guys probably are, are more familiar with some of this than Rochelle and I, but you know, you, you've got your high deductible, low deductible plans. Most plans nowadays we see are preferred preferred provider plans, PPO plans, but there's several other variations as well. Like HMO is, is common, you know, like the Kaiser model, if you will. Um, we're not going to get into Medicare today because that's a, a whole nother episode in itself. But um, with, with pretty much all health plans, preventative care is going to be covered, like your annual wellness exam, um, you know, child visits as well, which you usually you got a little bit more leeway with, with getting your kids uh, taken care of. Um, and then, you know, your, your, you know, required vaccines like flu shots, et cetera. Um, usually, usually those are going to be cover, covered by all, all plans. Um, with a high deductible plan, you know, the deductible is what you pay before the insurance company steps in and starts paying. So the higher the deductible, the more you have to pay out of your own pocket before the insurance is going to start covering your medical expenses. Uh, the lower the deductible, the less costly it's going to be. Now, generally speaking, the higher the deductible means, you know, you pay more for your health care. Therefore, your premiums that you pay for the insurance are going to be lower. Whereas the opposite of tr is true. If you have a lower deductible health plan, the insurance company is stepping in sooner. Therefore, your premiums that you have to pay for the insurance are likely going to be higher. So it's, you know, the, you get what you pay for, uh, it holds true, you know, in this world, you know, if you're, if you're going to pay more for your health insurance, usually you're going to have a few more bells and whistles or the insurance company is going to start covering costs sooner. Um, if you're going to go with a, a lower cost policy, you know, you're going to be more responsible for your own out-of-pocket healthcare expenses. Yep, absolutely. And with a high deductible health plan, you often can also set up what's called a health savings account um, or an HSA. Um, if it's HSA eligible, so if it's an HDHP, usually that is a plan where it is HSA eligible. Sometimes the employer will offer it so you can just do it through payroll deductions. Sometimes you have to set it up on your own. And we'll talk a little bit more about HSAs in a second. With the lower deductible plans, you can often do like all of your office visits outside of preventative care, like prescriptions and things like that for with a copay instead of you having to pay like a whole bunch of money until you get to your deductible. So let's say, you know, you have an office visit because you have the flu and it's just not clearing up and you really feel like, okay, maybe this isn't the flu, maybe we need some antibiotics, whatever. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe you do a $30 copay for your office visit and you have a small copay for your, your prescription as well. So that's how that works with a, a lower deductible plan. With the high deductible plan, all of that's on you until you hit your deductible, the prescription costs, the office visit, all of that. So the, the deductible is a big part of what your insurance is, and we've talked about it a little bit so far already, but just to speak more directly about what that is, it's basically how much you pay out of pocket before the insurance company will cover anything for a high deductible plan, and it can be a pretty big range. You know, it's not like every plan that's a high deductible plan has the same deductible. There are some um, plan 
like minimums and maximums that's set by the federal government because of um, the Affordable Care Act. So in order to qualify as a high deductible plan in 2024, your deductible will have to be at least $1,600 for an individual or $3,200 for a family plan, which is actually not that high. You know, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm a little jaded and have seen really high insurance costs, but that seems fairly reasonable. We can, you know, have a 3200 deductible for our entire family and it still qualifies as a high deductible health plan. Often it can be quite a bit higher than that, though, just depending on the insurance that your employer offers you or that you secure on the market. The maximum allowable deductible is $7,500 for an individual and $15,000 for a family plan for any like HCA qualifying like or I'm sorry not HCA but Affordable Care Act qualifying plan so they're they're not going to let you be on the hook for everything I think the the big push with legislation regarding healthcare costs recently has been to kind of limit how much of those catastrophic costs you could potentially be responsible for. And by lowering like the maximum deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums, that's what they've kind of achieved at this point. It's also yeah. why healthcare is and insurance is so much more expensive. So, you know, definitely a, a double-edged sword a little bit. Yeah, the insurance company pays for more means you got to pay more for the insurance. Yep. Simple, uh, simple relationship there. Um, so you got your deductible. Um, so that's, you know, one of the first things to look at. Then you have your, your co-payment and your co-insurance payment, two separate things. So the co-payment, like Rochelle mentioned, you know, you might have to pay a $30 copay for your office visit. And in your policy, it'll detail like what the copay is for different types of things. You know, maybe office visits are $30 copays or, you know, for this type of visit, it's a $50 copay, you know, whatever. But usually it's a, you know, reasonable amount that you got to pay just to get in the door. And then the coinsurance is what percentage of the medical cost you have to pay for and what percentage the insurance company has to pay for. So let's say, you know, the the visit to the doctor is, you know, $500 and the prescription that, you know, you're you're getting is $1000 and you have a 20% coinsurance. Well, so you pay 20% of that cost in this scenario, you know, ignoring all the other, you know, things that go into it. But let's just you know, forget about the deductible for now, just the coinsurance. <laughs> so if it's a $1,500 total bill, you know, you would be on the hook for 300. The insurance company would be on the hook for the other uh, $1,200 in that, that simple example. Um, and then you continue to pay your, you know, after your deductible has been met, you continue to pay your coinsurance until you reach your out-of-pocket maximum. Um, and the out-of-pocket maximum is, is, you know, written into the insurance contract. This is the absolute maximum you will be required to pay out of your own pocket. Um, you know, so you've got, you know, major surgery, medical expenses, treatment, et cetera. You know, you've seen what some of these medical bills are from the hospital. I mean, just if you have to stay overnight in a hospital, it's like a $30,000 expense, at least probably, um, when you start adding it all up. So that out-of-pocket max somewhat, you know, protects you and like, here's the most you're going to be responsible for. You, know, you have your out-of-pocket max as an individual and then for the family as a whole for the year. And then it's going to be different for in-network versus out-of-network. So this is where 
the health insurance companies, it's kind of a big scam in America how this all works. Because you might go to an in-network hospital, but the treating physician might not be part of that network. You know, you know, maybe you have the surgeon, the anesthesiologist, whatever, like one of them's part of the network, one of them's not part of the network. You had the ambulance ride there because, you know, you don't know, like you're just needing immediate care and now you're stuck with a big tab for an out-of-network cost because, you know, like you didn't control who was the, uh, who was on staff in the ER that night. Um, but, you know, so there is still some element, you know, that's broken in America's healthcare system, as you all are aware, but that's again, you know, not for, for today, but, but, it, you know, if you are able to decide when and where you're going to seek, seek treatment, you know, you want to make sure you're going ideally to an in-network provider, obviously, so that, you know, the costs are, are more reasonable. Uh, but even with the uh, out-of-network, there's going to be uh, an, out of, uh, an out-of-pocket maximum that you pay. It's usually double the in-network cost, but it's still capped so that, you know, you're, you're limited in your financial exposure there. Yeah. The one thing is that in, in a case that is truly an emergency technically like they can't charge you more for like for going out of network but they may try to argue with you about whether or not it was really an emergency you know if your leg is broken and you need surgery like going to the er because your leg is broken yes emergency surgery following that maybe they're gonna say hey you could have like figured out where to go to have surgery so that you were in network at that point it wasn't an emergency like i I mean, I don't know that they would make that argument, but there has definitely been situations where you have to argue like, yes, this was an emergent situation. This out-of-network cost should not apply in this situation. Yeah, but hopefully you don't have to be faced with that fight because, um, uh, you know, we've all heard numerous horror stories of insurance companies denying claims for one reason or the other. Um you know, like, oh, this wasn't a necessary procedure. It was elective. It's like, no, this was necessary. It was, you know, but anyways. Um, Corey, you had a good example of like um, planning ahead for that too. Like you can plan ahead for that sometimes when it's not emergent. For sure. And like you guys see the other side of it too. Like you have to fight with insurance companies sometimes to get your procedures reimbursed, you know, depending on what the, the thing is. But yeah, so, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, looking at the, the in-network versus out-of-network, especially if you know in advance, like, hey, I need to have this procedure done or I'm going to, you know, have this. In our case, you know, we, you know, when we were having our second child, um, the, the health plan that we're on through our company requires us to deliver at one of their hospitals. Now, the hospital that was closest to our house and the one that, you know, Lindsay's, uh, you know, OBGYN worked at or right next door to and, and could, you know, deliver at was a different hospital system than the one that our insurance covered. So like, even though our insurance covers the doctor visits and everything, they say, oh, if you're going to deliver a baby, you have to go to one of our hospitals. And it's like, well, we don't want to have to drive all the way to the other side of town to go deliver and not have her provider. So we ended up actually you know, opting out of the, the company plan for her. So I just had my individual coverage through work. And then we got a separate policy for her through the health exchange, um, healthcare.gov that, that would allow her to, you know, still see her primary doctor and, and deliver at the hospital that we wanted to deliver at. And then 
when she went into labor, we called the hospital, say, hey, we're on our way. They're like, yeah, we're on divert. We don't have enough nurses, so we're, we're at maximum capacity. So you need to go all the way to North Portland to the other one. <laughs> so it ended up being even further away. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Randall's Children's Hospital is really nice. You know, they move you over there to that. Uh, <laughs> or, or is Randall at OHSU? Or which one's at um, Emanuel? Uh... I think it's Randall at whatever. The one at Emanuel in Portland for any of you that are local. Really nice. It was built, you know, I don't know, a handful of years ago or five, ten years ago. So um, food's way nicer up there than in Tualatin at Meridian Park. But uh, but anyways, <laughs> so we, we went through all these hoops so we could deliver at the hospital close to our house, and they were full. So we ended up at a different one anyways. Well, and that kind of just shows you that you can plan as much as you want, <laughs> and there will be things that are unplanned that are like outside of your control. So, I mean, in this, we're kind of focusing on the things we can control, but realize like if there's an emergency, like all of this is kind of out the window. That's just, it is what it is. But so the, the one other thing, I mean, there's a couple other things to talk about here, but a, another big thing is the premium cost itself, like what you are paying. So when we're thinking about all these things, we want to think about all the different pieces that we're paying for, like our deductibles, our office visits, our prescriptions, like how much we're going to pay on this plan versus this plan, and then compare it to the premiums that we're paying for those plans. So pay attention a little bit to get an accurate estimate. Like if it's biweekly, you know, times it by 26, that's your annual payment. You know, if you're getting paid monthly on your, like, maybe you're, you're comparing yours and your partner's plans. Like, which plans should we use? And, you know, make sure that you're comparing apples to apples, not just, like, how much it is per pay period. And then um, keep in mind that if you are a W-2 employee and you're, you know, you have employer-provided health insurance, you're probably paying a pretty small portion of what the actual cost of that health insurance is. And it really, like when we're thinking about financial decisions for ourselves, then yes, like it matters just what we're paying out of pocket, right? But if you're thinking about switching jobs, that's one thing to think about is, you know, like how much coverage am I getting? What am I paying? Is my employer paying a large portion of this so that I have decent coverage and I don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it? Because that's, I mean, that's often what's happening. Um like Corey said earlier, like the high deductible plans usually have a lower premium because the insurance company is a, like there's less of a, a upfront cost for them if something does happen. And really it's like, why else would you choose a high deductible plan and have less coverage? That's, yeah, that's why, because you get to pay less. Uh, the other thing is that a part of this, like this the kind of like second part of this health insurance is also the way that we can pay for medical expenses out of pocket. So a lot of times you have either a health savings account or a flexible spending account for healthcare or both through your employer. And those accounts can be really, really cool if you have expected medical costs. Um, the health savings accounts themselves can only be funded if you have an HSA eligible health insurance plan or like a high deductible health plan. And that's like a a government rule that is not like your employer's rule that is that the government says you have to have a high deductible health plan in order to be able to use an hsa and that's because the hsa is super cool and they're trying to encourage people to use high deductible health plans to kind of lower overall medical costs and medical insurance costs um, there's a limit on how much you can contribute per year but they are pre-tax contributions so every dollar you put into an hsa or an fsa actually is pre-tax, which means you're not paying income taxes on it. 
With the HSA, you can potentially invest money. You may have to have like a small portion in cash, but extra you can potentially invest and you get tax deferred growth and also tax-free withdrawals if you're paying for out-of-pocket healthcare costs, which is kind of big. Like you can invest money, let it grow, take it out, and use it pre-tax. So it's like the only account where you can invest without paying taxes, let it grow without paying taxes, take it out and use it without paying taxes. Literally the only account that you can do that. Um, yeah, there's – you go, Corey. I feel like I talked <laughs> long enough. <laughs> yeah, health savings accounts are pretty awesome. I may not be quite as uh, over-the-top enthusiastic about them as the internet in general. Like you read about you know, some blogs about health savings accounts and, and people are going all out about how fanatic they are about them and how great they are and how to utilize them. And, and like the hack is you maximize your contributions to them every year, which is it's like I think the limit's like $8,000 next year. Um, but uh, and it adjusts every year with inflation and then you invest your money it grows over time you know it's going to have its ups and downs like any investment but hopefully over time it grows now these health savings accounts are designed to allow you to pay for your out-of-pocket health care costs with tax-free dollars but a lot of you know a lot of the bloggers out there will recommend oh save your receipts because you can get reimbursed indefinitely let the money compound and then you know, when you're 65 and go on Medicare, then submit all your receipts for reimbursement at that point after the account has had three decades to compound and grow. And in theory, that sounds wonderful. In practice, I can't imagine anyone hoarding receipts for healthcare costs for 30 years to then and keep track of them without losing them to then try and get reimbursed all at once. And I can only imagine the administrative hurdles of trying to get those reimbursements too. Um, so I recommend, and I might be alone in this, but I recommend people <laughs> get reimbursed along the way. It's designed to pay for your healthcare costs as they occur with pre-tax dollars. So you have a medical expense, you have money in your HSA, use the money from your HSA to pay for that medical expense. Now, the, typically the people who use high deductible health plans that are HSA eligible generally don't have a lot of expected healthcare costs. Otherwise they'd go with a fancier insurance plan that pays for more of their stuff because you're going to be responsible for more of your out-of-pocket expenses with those types of plans. Um, but if you're healthy, you know, your kids are healthy, you never go to the doctor other than for your annual checkup, you know, then yeah, you know, going with the lower cost plan, putting $8,000 a year pre-tax into the HSA can make sense. You know, you're saving money on taxes, investing the money, you have a slush fund available for if and when you do have out-of-pocket medical expenses. And then once you're eligible to go on Medicare at age 65, that HSA kind of converts into a pseudo retirement account as well. You can still use the money in there for out-of-pocket healthcare expenses tax-free, but you can also start withdrawing it for whatever you want. If you withdraw it for non-healthcare expenses, you have to still pay income taxes on the amount you withdraw, just like from your pre-tax retirement accounts, but it's nice that you have that additional flexibility there. Now, last thing, so the HSA is wonderful. Balance carries forward year to year. You can continue to, to compound and grow that over time. People often confuse them with flexible spending accounts. So there's the health savings account, which is the HSA, and then there's the healthcare 
flexible spending account, which is the FSA. Now the flexible spending account also pre-tax contributions can be used to pay for out-of-pocket healthcare costs tax-free. However, the money in a flex spending account does not carry over from one year to the next. I think a few years ago, they changed the rules to allow up to a maximum of $500 can carry forward. So these are use it or lose it plans. If you're enrolling in your flex spending account, you have to be positive that you're going to have out-of-pocket medical expenses the following year whether that be you're delivering a child, you have, you know, prescriptions, you know, glasses, whatever. You know that there's going to be some healthcare related expense that you you're planning to spend the money on and then only put enough to cover that those expenses. Um, you know, don't put more than that because again, you can't carry it forward the next year. It just goes away and you lose the money. Um, so you got to be really careful with those flex spending accounts. They're great, but again, it's a use it or lose it plan. So you got to make sure you're going to use it in the year that you're contributing to it. Yep, definitely. And I've had that be an issue with folks before. And it's just, you know, if you lose that money, it just gets reabsorbed by the plan. You know, it's not, it doesn't benefit you in any way, which is terrible. You hate losing money, obviously. So all of this information, which is kind of a lot, gets us to the point where we're trying to make choices about what's the best plan. And I think, you know, we have a couple of examples here, but if you're fairly healthy, like Corey was saying, and you don't have a lot of prescriptions or frequent office visits, a high deductible plan could be a great fit. It could save you money on health insurance premiums. It allows you to save into a health um, savings account. And if there is something catastrophic that happens, you have to be prepared to pay the deductible and maybe even to pay that out-of-pocket maximum, which can be higher than other plans. So we have to be really pretty well set up for emergencies if we're choosing to use a plan like this. In some way, shape, or form, either we have emergency reserves, we're okay with asking for some support from people in our lives, like whatever it is, we got to make sure that that you can pay those out-of-pocket costs. Sometimes even if you do have some ongoing medical conditions, an HSA can still make sense. If they're fairly, you know, moderate in scope, like don't, they're not super costly. I think our situation is a good example. Like we're young, healthy family. Our daughter does have some allergies. And so she has like an EpiPen and she has to see the allergist and like none of that is covered. Um, But like the out-of-pocket expenses that we incur because of that is still less than the savings of the premiums. And so, you know, and we can pay for it pre-tax. You know, we can pay for all of that pre-tax from our HSA. It's not too, too much to make it so that the the high deductible plan isn't worthwhile for us. It's still worthwhile for us. But if you do have like larger prescriptions, more frequent prescriptions, more expensive ones, if you, you know, see a doctor frequently, if you're going to counseling, you know, if you're going to counseling twice a week and it's totally not covered at all through your high deductible plan until you hit your deductible, like that's a lot of money out of pocket potentially. So there's lots of places and times where it will make sense to choose that lower deductible plan and just pay a little bit more for your coverage. Yeah, you just kind of have to weigh, do the math and look at what are my expected medical expenses. Obviously, there's things that are unexpected, which is why we have the insurance. You know, you you get in an accident skiing, you break your leg, you got to be rushed to the hospital, have surgery. You know, that's what the insurance is for. Um, you know, if you sprain your ankle and need to get some athletic tape from the pharmacy to tape it up, you know, 
you can afford that out of pocket. That's not what we have health insurance for. Um, it's the big stuff that, that, that we're planning to cover. But yeah, if we know we have, here's what our ongoing medical expenses are. You know, we have an allergy. We need certain things for said allergy, inhaler, EpiPen, whatever. You know, we know it's going to cost us this much every year, roughly. Okay. You know, does the insurance cover it? If so, you know, if this plan covers it, that plan doesn't. What's the cost out of pocket for that stuff versus the premiums for the health insurance, you know, and, and just, you know, what's going to save you more money? Kind of like with the student loans, filing taxes separately versus jointly to factor only one spouse's income into the, the income-driven payment for your student loans, all right? Is the payment savings greater than the tax savings it, you know it's just it, so you gotta do do a little get out the calculator do a little math and uh and then make your your best educated guess on you know which plan to go with as a result but but yeah you know research the providers you're going to see the stuff you're you're going to need and, and see if it's covered by that health plan or if you have multiple plans which one covers it or covers more of it and uh just go which go with whatever the more favorable option is for you and your circumstances. Yep. I think the other thing is that don't stress about it too much. Like realistically, the most important thing is that you have health insurance. And if you're getting down to it and you're like, "Ooh, I really don't know which one is better because like the math is just too close and things like that." Whichever one you pick, it's going to be okay. Like that's the bottom line. You have health insurance. That's the most important thing. If something big happens, you're only on the hook for a limited dollar amount. And some plans will probably be a little bit better or worse for you depending on your and your family's medical history and, and other things that are just totally outside of your control. So just focus on the things that you can control. Try to make the best choice possible, but don't sweat it too much. Bottom line. Yeah, fortunately for all of you in the healthcare world like usually you have decent health insurance through your employers um so so yeah for the most part you're going to be pretty well situated regardless of which plan you have it's just you know some might have a little bit larger out-of-pocket expense than others yep and if you're self-employed don't skip it this is not a thing we skip this is a thing you no. get <laughs> Yeah, I don't know of anyone who forgoes health insurance. I mean, I'm sure yeah. there's some people out there that don't have it. But yeah, I think all of you are, are – we don't need to convince you on the importance of it. You're doctors, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, having it as the main one and then having the, the most appropriate plan for you, which is very confusing to filter through, um, is kind of the next step. Absolutely. But, all right, as always, let us know if you have questions. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.